doing good? Hey, so glad that you're here. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here. And boy, if you're newer to Shelter Cove, I too would love to meet you in the Welcome Center after the service. Hey, if you've got your Bible or your electronic device, wave it up in the air just for a moment. Great. So great to see those all over the place. Go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to raise your hand. One of our ushers will get one to you in just a moment. Do want to welcome those joining us online. So glad that you're tuning in with us. We are in the middle of a 15-week series going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through Acts chapter 1 through 7, looking at the whole theme of authentic church. How did the church start? How was it birthed? What did it look like? What did they do? How were they real? It's all a part of our mission statement, reaching and raising authentic followers of Jesus. And I love that word authentic. It's, it's real in our love for Jesus, our pursuit of Jesus, our desire to live out the commands of Christ. But it's also just being real with where we're at. And the fact that even though we love Jesus, we have challenges, we have struggles, we have heartache, and we don't need to hide behind that here. So I just love that we're looking at authentic church. Now, last week, uh, we finished up chapter one, and it really set the stage for chapter two, which I believe is one of the most powerful chapters in all of scripture. The Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit is unleashed the church is birthed. Last week, uh, we, we finished up chapter one and Jesus had promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. He ascended up into heaven. The disciples go back to Jerusalem where Jesus asked them to be. They're waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. They gather around. Jesus reveals that Matthias is to be the 12th apostle and then this is what happens. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Acts chapter two. Starting in verse 1, this is the word of God. Luke writes, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Heavenly Father, right now, we pause and pray, and we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, we need you. We want you. We desire you. God, right now, we ask that you would have your way in our lives. God, if there's areas that need to change, if there's a new direction in a certain area, God, whatever you want to do, you do it. God, I humbly ask that you would take over my mouth, my mind, and my heart, and you would speak the message that you have in store for your people today. Speak now, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to dive right into this. If I start talking fast today, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm just energized by the Spirit today. I didn't have too much coffee. You may see me shaking at times, and that's okay. Uh, we have to remember chapter one, what happened. All of the followers of Jesus were united. They were together. They were together in the pursuit of Jesus. They were together in their desire for Jesus. They were together waiting for the Holy Spirit. If we want to see the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit unleashed in this church, we have to be together. 
We have to be unified. The scriptures say that they were of one accord, unified in their pursuit of Jesus Christ. Now, again, we're looking at the birth of the church today. Um, what took place in Pentecost, at Pentecost, is still impacting us today. And as we break this passage of Scripture down, we're looking at the first 21 verses. I want us to see three different parts, three different parts that really will speak to our lives today. First of all is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want us to understand a few details of what took place over 2,000 years ago at Pentecost. Notice the timing. It wasn't just a random day. It was Pentecost. Pentecost literally means 50th. 50 days after Passover. What was the Passover? Passover was the festival, the time where they celebrated, the time where the Israelites were freed from Egypt, where the angel of death literally passed over the houses that had blood painted on the doorframe. The the word Pentecost literally means feast of weeks, feast of harvest. It was a time of celebration where they celebrated the harvest of barley and they were anticipating the harvest of wheat. So there were people that were gathering together from all over the empire, different backgrounds, different ages, different ethnicities, gathering together to celebrate. And it's in this moment that God's about to unleash his Holy Spirit. Now up until this day, God was working specifically with the Israelites, his chosen people. In just a couple moments, the Holy Spirit is going to be unleashed, not just on the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Paul calls this a mystery, a mystery that was hidden from ages past, now revealed that the Gentiles are now going to be one in the body of Christ with the Jews. So notice the timing was significant. This was all part of God's plan that it would take place at Pentecost. But notice also, as Luke's describing these events, he says it's like, it's as if. In other words, what's taking place at Pentecost is literally uh, undescribable. I was having sushi with a friend recently, took the first bite of the roll, and I'm just like, mmm, mmm. He's like, what's it like? He said, it's like a party in your mouth, bro. It's undescribable, right? You just can't describe that. Go to Disneyland. Somebody's like, what's it like if you haven't been there? I'm like, it's like you're in another world. Paul's describing something that really can't be described. In verse 2, he says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house as they were sitting. He says it was like a mighty rushing wind. Think about a wind. What, what, what is wind? It's powerful. Everybody heard it. People were gathered together because of the sound of this wind. You can't often see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. It is a powerful force. The Holy Spirit is a powerful force. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Holy Spirit. So there is this powerful sound. It's, it's as if a, a mighty wind, again, uh, undescribable. Then he goes on and he says there's the appearance of tongues of fire upon everybody. What did fire represent in the Old Testament? Fire represented the presence of God. Think about Moses. He goes to the burning bush. The burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 wasn't being consumed. Why? Because the presence of God was literally in the bush. We, we, We see the pillar of fire leading the Israelites The presence of God. John the Baptist said that the Holy Spirit would baptize people um, with fire. 
So, so here we're seeing the presence of God. Notice the timing again. It's at Pentecost. People are all gathered together. There's this amazing wind where people are realized, man, something powerful is going on. The appearance of fire on people's lives. It doesn't stop there. Luke says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues. What we need to see is that this situation made it clear and obvious that God was at work. God was doing something special. We see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in part one. Notice part two in your notes. Part two is the, re the reaction from the people. The reaction from the people. People are seeing this. They're hearing this. They're wondering. They're confused. They're amazed. What, what could be going on? Pick up with me in, in verse five. It says, now, they're dwelling in Jerusalem were Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Let me just pause for a second. That's a passage of scripture. If you're in a small group or Bible study, you hope you don't have to read out loud, right? <laughs> just keeping it real. He goes on and says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. They're just drunk. Notice what's happening here. I'm going to go just straight up Bible on you for a little bit, so just track with me, all right? You guys still with me? All right? Who was, who was speaking in tongues? And we have to always go back to the context. Jump back up with me to chapter 1, verse 26. The chapter numbers were not in there when this was originally written by, by Luke. It says, and they cast, aside, uh, to, um, they cast aside lots for them, and a lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place. So it's, it's the context is the apostles. If you drop down in verse 7, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Who was from Galilee? The 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. Who was speaking in tongues? Based upon the context, it was the 12 apostles that were speaking in tongues. Now, tongues literally in the Greek is, is glossa. It's where we get the word glossary. It's literally a language. A language that was unknown by the apostles, but clearly understood by somebody else. So it wasn't like they had learned this language. It wasn't like it was a language that they had studied or knew. This was an unknown language that they were able to speak because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Here's what it would be like. It would be like me getting up here and in perfect speech, being able to speak the wonderful works of God in Chinese. And all my Chinese brothers and sisters would be like, wow, he doesn't even have a California accent. A language I haven't studied I don't know, but I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm able to speak another language that is, that is able to be understood by my Chinese brothers and sisters. That 
is what was taking place in this passage. And again, they're all gathered from all parts of the empire together, speaking in languages that everybody could understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the mighty works of God. You go back to Genesis. You guys still with me? Go back to Genesis, the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, what happened? People were trying to make a name for themselves. So what did God do? He scattered them. He confused their language. He divided them. This is literally a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Instead of confusing their languages, he's giving clarity to their languages. He's drawing people together that everybody would be on the same page hearing the presence of God through people's mouths. Now the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 2 and through the rest of time is going to function in a completely different way than it did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people as God desired for a task, for a purpose, and a season. We see that in the book of Judges where God would, would fill people with his Holy Spirit for a task and then the Holy Spirit would leave. Let me just take that a step further. It was regardless of the spirit person's spiritual condition. So somebody may have not been walking with Christ, but God would put his spirit upon them. He would complete a work, and then the spirit would leave. Now in Acts chapter 2 and moving forward, the Holy Spirit does not have a come-and-go relationship. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. He comes to stay. stay. He is sealed. He doesn't leave. He doesn't come and go. He has this permanent residence inside our lives. And there are people at times in denominations at times that are confused by this. There are people that think that there needs to be a second act of grace where we come to know Christ and yet we have to wait for the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work that way. The moment, the instant we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we receive a filling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul put it this way. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. He says, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. I love that because Paul's saying it doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your age. When you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. There is only one baptism, not a second one, not a second act of grace. And there are so many denominations that, that take what's happening here in Acts and take this narrative and make it normative. I love that. People are taking this simple story and they're saying, well, if it's, that's what happened in, in Acts, then it must be true today. If I receive the Holy Spirit, then I must be speaking in tongues. The only three times we see that in Scripture is Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19. We see so many times in the book of Acts, which we will see next week, where people receive the Holy Spirit, they give their lives to Christ, and there is no speaking in tongues. So just because you have the Holy Spirit does not mean that there will be evidence of tongues. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that and what that means in just a little bit. But it is possible, it is likely that you will have the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. I, I personally, in, in my own life, ha, have prayed, God, if, if you want me to have the, holy, the, the, the gift of speaking in tongues, I know I have the Holy Spirit, if that would make me love you more, like, like I want that. And the closest I've come is I took Spanish in high school, and that's about all I've, I, all I've got, right? Um, but that doesn't make me any better or any less than anybody else. 
But there, there will be many of us, most of us, where we have the power, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but speaking in tongues will not be evidence of that. There's going to be other evidence. Notice in your notes five powerful things that the Holy Spirit does. First of all, the power to be a witness of the gospel. Power to be a witness of the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus put it this way. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's a power to be a witness of the gospel. If we didn't need help, then God wouldn't have sent the Holy Spirit. He's literally sending the Holy Spirit and saying, you know what, you need this power. You need this help. And for so many people, they will never read the Bible. Never read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and know what the Christian life looks like. The only gospel that they will ever read or see is your life. Don't miss this. So God has given us the Holy Spirit to give us the power to be an example of what it means to live the Christian life, to be an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, knowing that we can't do that in and of our own strength. Second of all, what does he do? He gives us the power to teach and to guide. Well, the Holy Spirit is teaching us and guiding us, and Jesus promised this several times, that the Holy Spirit's going to teach you, and he's going to guide you into all truth. Not just some truth, but all truth. John chapter 15, Jesus put it this way. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. I love that, the spirit of truth. Next chapter, chapter 16, says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He guides us into all truth. Here's what I love about the Holy Spirit. As he's guiding us, He begins to change our desires, to change our cravings. It's no more about the things that that Jeremy wants, those selfish cravings, those things are about me. It's all about what God wants. Um, I I think about women that have been pregnant and some of the cravings that they have. How many of you know somebody, or maybe yourself, uh, had some kind of creepy cravings for food when they were pregnant. Just raise your hand, you can be honest. You know people, or maybe you were one like that. Okay, on the, on the count of three, I want you to just yell the weirdest food craving that a pregnant woman had, all right? Uh, one, two, three. All right, those were kind of creepy, all right? Uh, last service in the front row, uh, like pancakes and Thousand Island dressing, all right? I've never heard of that one before, right? I've heard of like pickles and ice cream. In fact, we've got a couple pictures up here. Right? Ketchup and a uh, 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 banana, uh, pickles and ice cream, uh, ketchup and mustard and a donut. Hey, let's just stop for a second. If you are getting hungry right now, you may be pregnant. Can I just say that? <laughs> All right? We're just keeping it real here. And go ahead and go to the next one. Raviolis and donuts. All right? How many of you are hungry for some of that right now? All right, take a pregnancy test after the service. If you're a guy and you're hungry for that, we will pray for you. All right? <laughs> Here's what happens with a pregnant woman most of the time. Because someone else is inside of her, her cravings change. As brothers and sisters in Christ, because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, 
we start craving things that are different than what we would normally crave. We, would, we crave the things of Jesus. Three, in your notes, the power to seal our salvation. Power to seal our salvation. You know, there are times where you have family members that will come over at Thanksgiving and Christmas and maybe in the summer and they'll say, hey, can we, can we stay a night or two? And you're like, sure, that'd be great. And they're like, hey, we're having such a great time. We're going to spend a, a third night here. And you're like, okay. And then they're like, a fourth night. And you're like, all right. And they're like, we're going to stay the whole week. And you're like, no, right? They start well, they're out there, welcome. And they have such a good time. They're like, hey, we think we're going to move in with you guys. And you're like, no. And you get to a point where there's nothing you could say or do that would change their mind. How many of you have family members that are like that? Just, just raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, if it's your spouse and they're sitting next to you, do not raise your hand, all right? Um, but there are people that they, they come and they really, literally take residence in your house. You, you can't get them to leave. Here's the cool thing about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in your life, regardless of what happens in the future, there's nothing you could say or do that would cause the Holy Spirit to leave you. This is the greatest encouragement, the greatest seal of salvation is the Holy Spirit in your life. There's nothing we could ever do to lose our salvation. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he takes permanent residence inside our lives. In fact, Paul put it this way. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquired possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul describes our bodies as believers as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's what we mean by that. and We forget about this. That, that God's home is literally inside my body. The Holy Spirit is, is living inside me, inside you as followers of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the, the presence of God was literally in the Holy of Holies. The, the high priest would go there once a year, the Day of Atonement, make a sacrifice, not anymore. The presence of God is literally inside followers of Jesus Christ, we forget that way and we forget to function that way that we literally have the presence of God inside our lives because the Holy Spirit has been sealed. Power number four is the power to use spiritual gifts. The power to use spiritual gifts. Every single one of us, the moment we surrender our lives to Jesus, we've been given a spiritual gift. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, gives a list of them. It says, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Every single one of you have been given them. The, the moment the Spirit enters our lives, we receive this spiritual gift. And oftentimes, it will manifest itself and grow in us later and come out later in life. But we've been all given that spiritual gift the moment the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. Paul says, for some, it's, it's the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, the gift of healing, prophecy, tongues. He goes on and on and on. And he says, every single one of us have been given a spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ. Now, now we, we think about tongues just for a moment. We hear in Acts them speaking in tongues in the context of a church, which is different from what happened here at Acts. In, in Corinth, Paul talks about speaking in tongues. 
And he says there's two things that need to happen if you have the gift of tongues. And you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27. Great, great passage of scripture. He says two things that need to happen. First of all, it needs to be done in an orderly way. Then it needs to be interpreted. Two or three at the most time. Why? Because it's all about building up the body of Christ. And then there needs to be somebody that interprets the tongues, again, so that it will benefit and bless the body of Christ. Now, if we took this and evaluated each church based upon this, it would negate about what maybe 90% of what some churches are doing today. Because it's not being done according to the word of God. But every single one of us has a spiritual gift. And then fifthly, the power to demonstrate fruit. The greatest evidence in your life is not whether or not you can speak the whole in tongues. Most Christians can't. The greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the fact that the Holy Spirit will produce fruit. Will produce fruit. An apple tree is gonna produce fruit. An orange tree is gonna produce fruit. The Christian life, because of the Holy Spirit, will produce fruit. Well, what is that fruit? In Galatians chapter five, 22 and 23, it puts it this way, but the fruit of the Spirit I mean, this is our, our trees, our, our life is the fruit of the Spirit because the, the Spirit's inside of us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit functioning in your life is that your life will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit because He is inside of you. For several years, I've had the privilege um, even before becoming the lead pastor of, of meeting with our elder board every month. Godly, godly men. And the greatest evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives is fruit. The love, the joy, the patience, the kindness, it's contagious. It is obvious that these are men that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what we often don't talk about in this passage in Acts. It says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. Yes, when we receive the Holy Spirit, he takes permanent residence in our lives, but we need to regularly be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be praying and just saying, God, would you just fill me with, with your spirit, consume me with your spirit, uh, let all the selfishness and the pride and the sin and all the other junk just leak out of my body that I would be led by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, walked by the Spirit. There are times as followers of Christ where we just forget the necessity of what it means and looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what it looks like in my own life. There are times where I am just praying down in my office for people and praying, God, would you just fill me, consume me, lead me, guide me, and he'll, he'll just put on my heart somebody I need to pray for. Let's just start praying for him. I'll shoot him a text message. Hey, God just, God just put you on my heart. It may sound kind of creepy, but I'm praying for you. And I will at times get phone calls where people are like, you have no idea the timing of this text message. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't, but God, God does. Holy Spirit put you on my heart. And so I just want to encourage us as we move forward as a church to be a people group that are being filled with the Holy Spirit and consumed with the Holy Spirit where we're having conversations that we wouldn't normally have. So Holy Spirit's like, hey, go talk to your neighbor right now. I, I, I don't know what to say. 
Holy Spirit just told me to show up and you just start having this conversation because you are being led by the Holy Spirit because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now notice the third part in this passage. Part three is simply this, the explanation by Peter. Peter's got some explaining that he needs to do. Why? Because some people think, hey, these guys are just drunk. These guys have been drinking. Why? They've been tipping back the bottle. Other people are thinking, man, this is just some wonderful things. And here's what Peter does. He goes straight up Old Testament on everybody once again. In chapter 1, what does Peter do? He recalls the Old Testament. Chapter 2, what does he do? He starts talking about Joel. And here's what I love about Peter and the other apostles. At the end of the Gospels, when Jesus is being crucified, when Jesus has died, what are they? They are scared. They are confused. They are afraid. What's happened once they've received the Holy Spirit? They are bold. They are passionate. What's Peter doing? He's getting ready to stand up in front of thousands of people, give a message, the first Christian message, with no notes, no sound system, no PowerPoint. He's just seeing an opportunity, and he's getting up and proclaiming this message. And I love this because it's not in a church building. It's not in a temple. It's not at this big harvest crusade. It's right where people are at, right in the middle of the street. And this is what I love. God always meets us where we're at. About two months ago, I was in Palm Springs going to a wedding. I went down there with my brother, his wife, their three kids, my mom and dad in one minivan. Yes, it was an awkward trip. We got down there, and next night, it was time to go to the wedding. My sister-in-law dropped us off. She had the kids. They went home, stayed, stayed in bed. My brother's like, hey, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just call an Uber or a Lyft, and they'll come and pick us up. So it was about 10 o'clock. He did his thing on his phone, and he's like, yep, they'll be here in like five minutes. And, and here's what I love about it. We're in like the back part of this kind of resort area, but to get there, you had to go through a mess of cars. You had to go down this dirty, bumpy nasty road. And I'm like, hey, do we have to go out there and meet the car? And my brother's like, nope. The lift will pick us up right where we're at and take us home. And I love that because that's what we see happening here. It wasn't in a church. It was right where people are at. God will always meet you in your mess. God will go through the dirt of your life. He doesn't ask you to clean yourself up and go halfway. He takes you, he meets you in your mess, and he can turn it into a miracle. God does something powerful when we just allow him to open up our hearts, and he's the one that takes us home. We can't get home, we can't get to heaven in and of ourselves. We need the help of somebody else who meets us where we're at and does all the work. That's the grace of God, and that's what Peter's about to unfold. That it's only through Jesus that we're saved. And this is what Peter says in verse 14. He says, Then Peter, standing up to the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, it is only the third hour of the day. What he's saying is, guys, it's not only 9 o'clock. The festival times, they wouldn't start eating and drinking until 10 a.m. or noon. He's like, hey, guys, no, it's impossible. It's like not even breakfast time, and you think these guys are drunk. Verse 16 says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and young men shall see visions, and old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, 
and signs on the earth below, fire and blood and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And then verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's this beautiful picture that Peter's declaring from the prophet Joel. He's saying this Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that was prophesied a long time ago in the Old Testament by Joel. No surprise. Joel said that there was going to be a day where God would pour out his Spirit on all people. Mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, servants. That the Holy Spirit would be available to everybody. Now, not everybody's going to receive the Holy Spirit. Some will reject Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit's going to be available and poured out on all people. Peter's saying, hey guys, don't be surprised. These guys aren't drunk. God said this would happen. But he also says there's going to be another thing that's going to happen. He says there's going to be a great judgment. In verses 19 and 20, what Peter is referring to in the last day is the tribulation and then the judgment. So after the rapture of the church, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. There's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a day where everybody stands before God. We have to give an account for our lives. And either we will be somebody that has accepted Jesus Christ or we have rejected Jesus Christ because there are no good works that we could ever do that would allow us to be good enough before a holy and perfect God. Peter is saying that there will be a day where, where there's going to be judgment. But he doesn't stop there. He gives the greatest hope that we find in all the scripture. He says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be what? Saved. It's the hope of Jesus that we just call on him. He will save us. He meets us where we're at. And that's what Peter's doing. And we're going to see next week that there's going to be 3,000 people that respond to the message that Peter gives. We see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see the response of people, but we see Peter also giving this message. Our word for the year this year is impact. It's how can, how can God have an impact in our lives, through our lives, in our church, through our church. I fully believe that the greatest way that we can have an impact is through walking by the power of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's my encouragement for this week and next week is simply this. Together, let's live under the power of the Holy Spirit in your notes. Together, let's live under the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit changes everything. Some of you are like, man, I don't know what it means or looks like. How do I live under the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, the first step that you can take today is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to take permanent residence inside your life, change you from the inside out, and give you the promise of eternity with God in heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that because of what took place over 2,000 years ago, we are still experiencing the implications today. God, that with your Holy Spirit, we are never alone. God, that with your Holy Spirit, you have given us the power inside us to accomplish everything that you want us to. God, we ask for forgiveness this morning for the times where we function in our own strength where we rely on our own efforts instead of relying on the, the Holy Spirit 
an unstoppable force who has taken residence in our lives. If you're here today and and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you were to die, you don't know where you're going. With all heads bowed, nobody looking around, um, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, receive salvation, enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ who alone can save you from your sin, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. It's through a simple prayer. It's not the words of the prayer. It's the attitude of your heart. It can go something like this. Dear Jesus, I recognize my sin in my life. And I want to say I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Surrender my life to you, and I ask that you would change me from the inside out and make me into the person that you want me to be. From this day forward, I thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit and the promise of eternity with you in heaven. With all heads bowed, nobody looking around, but if you've never received Jesus Christ and entered into a relationship with him, and and that's your prayer today, would you just lift up your hand and look at me? Wherever you're at today, you're like, you know what, I want Jesus. I, I want Jesus. Good, I see that hand over there. Good, I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Like, I I just want Jesus in my life. I I want the Holy Spirit. I want my life to change. Is there anybody else here today? Just raise your hand real tall and look at me wherever you're at. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. Is there anybody else? Good, I see that hand as well. Anybody else? God, we thank you so much for the hands that were raised, representing the hearts that were changed. God, would you feel my brothers and sisters? with your Holy Spirit, and lead them in the way everlasting. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.